Uh, hi, welcome all. Uh, actually, we were eagerly waiting for uh, an Upanishad session by Sri Bindoji. Often we used to ask him again and again. Finally, he has kindly consented to take Upanishads. Today, uh, we will uh, start with Mandukya Upanishad once again. That is a very tiny and the most wonderful Upanishads Bindoji has taken. Mandukya Upanishads is, is it's found in Atharva Veda and it is the very shortest Upanishads. Okay? It's having only 12 mantras, but clubbed with the Karikas, it has got a different extension altogether. So, uh, without wasting much time, I request Arvindoji to start with the Upanishad. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Jadavidhi. Om Namo Brahmadibhyo Brahmavitya Sampradaya Kartarbhyo Vamsarishibhyo Mahadhyo No Gurubhyaha Shankaram Shankarajajim Keshavam Badarayanam Sutrabhashi Krutav Bande Bhagavandav Punapunaha Ishwaro Guru Ratmiti Muti Veda Vivakine Vyomapat Vyapta Dehaya Dekshinamutaye Namaha The Shanti Mantra for this Upanishad is Om Badram Karne Vichrunuyama Deva Badram Pakshe Makshabir Yajatraha Spirai Angai Sushtu Vagum Sastanubihi Vishema Deva Hidam Yadayuhu Sostina Indro Vridashravaha Sostina Usha Vishavedaha Sostina Staksho Arishtanemi Sostino Brihaspadil Tatu Om Shanti 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 Namaste all. Since we have heard this Shanti Mantra in the Muntaka Upanishad also, I am not taking much time in explaining the Shanti Mantra, but for those who have not had the opportunity to be part of the Muntaka Upanishad classes, a brief introduction is being given to this Shanti Mantra. He Devaha, O Gods, Shrunayama, may we hear, Bhadram, what is auspicious, Karnabhi, through the years, Yajatra, O Gods, Pashema, Badram that may also see the Pashyama, we see the the auspicious things through Akshibihi, through the ears, through the eyes, Tushtuvasam Stanubihi, through the body, by glorifying you, Tirai Angai, the limbs which are sturdy and capable of you know supporting the body without any problem. Vyashema May we all enjoy Ayuhu, long life to understand, study and achieve what is the purpose of a life. Yet Devahitam, what is allotted to us by the Devahitam, by the Devas for the purpose of this life. Indraha, Vruddhashravaha, may Indra and Vruddhashrava, Vruddhashrava is a Vruddhaspati, Dadayu, Naswasti, Naha means for us, 
ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿನಾಹಸ್ಪತಿ Sosti again, Sosti tools, every, all the devas. Om Shanti 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 is standing for the three Shanti. Adi Bhautika, Adi Daivika and Adhyatma. First Shanti for Adi Bhautika with, from the world which has been created. Bhautika means created. For the created world from where obstacles can come to the study then comes adi daiviga which is controlled by the nature daiva means like i know torrential rain cyclone or any any other d type of things of us that adi daiviga that also let it not disturb us our from our studies and the third and the last one is adhyatma the internal atman means swarupa from within let there not be clash in understanding what the teacher is being thought so om shanti 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 is the uh, this is the shanti mantra for for this atharva uh, veda upanishads both mandukya and muntaka you will find the same thing is happening so here unlike the other upanishads shankaracharya has written through two mangala shlokas for this upanishad which is basically giving a gist of the entire upanishad and the karikas he has presented it in the form of a prayer to the, the turiya as a part of the the mangala charanam for by his this is unusual because shankaracharya has not written mangala charanam for most of his creations in the upanishad bhashya but here we are finding two of them so some say that the first one part is for the upanishad part and the second one is part is for the for the karika part but both convey the same meaning when we go through it we will understand so the first and the second mangala shlokas i'll chant together then i'll take up one by one and explain it ಪ್ರಜ್ಞಾಂಶುಪ್ರಧಾನೈಸ್ತಿರಜಿರನಗರೈ ಜ್ಯೋತಿಷಾಸ್ವೇನಸೂಕ್ಷ್ಮಾ ಹಿತ್ವಾ ಸರ್ವಾನ್ ವಿಶೇಷಾನ್ ವಿಗದ ಗುಣಗಣೈ ಪ 
ಪ್ರಜ್ಞಾಶುಪ್ರಧಾನೈಸ್ಟ್ಲೈಕ್ಚಾರಿಕರೈ both the sentient and insentient being enlightened vyapibir vyapya lokan have which has been spread through the all sorts of experience lokan here is standing for experiences these experiences are being enlightened by the light of pratnya or the awareness in the stira chara nigarai in the form of stira and chara means sentient and insentient then bhuktva bhogan stavishtan having enjoyed the bhogas or the enjoyments in the stavishtan in the all the things which is available in that world of experiences punarapi again dishanod basidan kama janyan dishanadhi means intellect or the mind dishano basitan enlightened by the mind or the intellect within ourselves kama janyan mean janyan due to kama what has been born out of desire that is he is referring here to the dream the dream is a creation of desires which are not physically possible to be enjoyed in the physical world the mind projects as they are to be enjoyed within the, the the world of the dreamer pitwa sarvan visheshan having drunk or enjoyed all the speciality of that those world of kamajanyan of the world of dream sopiti madura bhung mayaya bhojayanno sopiti madura bhung and then residing in the in the supiti or in the deep sleep as madhurabhum or the ananda book or the one who is in absolute bliss after having the fought the stira chara nigarai in the waking world and having enjoyed then and enlightening the world of the dream and the enjoyments in the dream then he is residing with absolute bliss in the deep sleep mayaya bhojayanno this this entire experience is created by maya and maya sangyam turiyam the turiyam the word fourth even though the word turiyam means fourth it in doesn't mean that it is the fourth it is a maya sankhya it is a it, it is a dependent or unreal number turiyam means because it does itself doesn't have an independent reality in the sense as the fourth one because it is present in the first one where the waking is there in the dream is there and the deep sleep it is there therefore it is called the fourth therefore it is a not a real name therefore it is a maya sankhya turiyam is the fourth one because is present in all the three 
yet not part of the three. Therefore, it is the fourth. And that is what? Param, Amritam, Ajam. That is the, the Param, the Absolute. Amritam, with, which doesn't have death or decay. And it doesn't have a birth also. So no birth, no death, and it is Absolute. And that is the Brahma. Yenna Tanno Tosmi. To that Brahma, which is in the form of all those things, which has been explained earlier, to that Brahma is, I bow to that Brahman, is the first Mangala Shloka of the Upanishad. More or less the same thing is reflected, but here he is using the words from the Upanishad itself for explaining the same thing. Yo Vishwatma Vidija Vishayan. Prasya Bhogan Stavishtan. So here Vishwatma is the is that consciousness in the waking state or in the Jagradavasta verse Tavishtan Bhogan, which is that concrete bogan or concrete experiences Prasya having consumed by how does it it Vidija Vishayan? by the Vishayan which has been created by that, for that Vishwatma, Paschat Anyan Swamati Vibhavan Jodisha Svena Sukshman, Paschat, after that, Anyan, through the other body, Swamati Vibhavan, Swamati means by one's own intellect or one's own, uh, you know, mind, Vibhavan, that the multitude of things in this dream world as not only that it is also the jodisha it is also the light which is there in the dream enlightening all the experiences and knowing that we can see the objects we can taste all the all the experiences are in the dream is being shined or shining in that suprakasha or the one which is from within side Whereas the world outside, we saw that, you know, like the sun is required for the uh, waking world for us to enjoy the world outside and knowing that. Svena Sushman, Sukshman, because they are subtle. And Svena, in the, in this, in the Sopna, Sarvan Etan Punarabhishanai, Sarvan Etan, in these two, which one? The waking and the dream. Sarvanetan, whatever is there, there are three of that. The object, the subject, and the matter of enjoy the relationship between the subject object. So Etan Sarvan, all of them, Punarapishanai in without any jerk, when such heavy experiences are in the waking and very subtle experiences are in the dream. Both we do not even know when it is being abandoned or kept anywhere. That is why the word Shanai is used. Swatmani Stavayitva. In the, in the Swatman, in one's own existence, he is presenting, he is keeping all those things in the Atman so that when he wakes up again in the main, the same thing is, is being experienced again. 
so it is not being destroyed it is being kept without any disturbance to that state of swatma swapayitva hitva sarvan visheshan all the adjectives which we have in the waking and the dream hitva having abandoned vigada guna ganai without any any top of qualities and adjectives vigada without that he is standing as the fourth as the turiya because he is neither related with the deep sleep nor related with the dream nor in the waking but at the same time it is his presence in which all these things are happening the and yet at the same time he is derived of all those qualities which is being attributed in the waking dream or the deep sleep to so that brahman which is the, the form of turiya is my prayers or my let that may be protect us patwa patwas na patwa means protect us let it protect us so these are the two uh mangala shlokas which is unique to this upanishad before we go into the upanishad and the explanation we need to understand what is the importance of this particular upanishad unlike all other upanishad there are difference and specialities for this upanishad first and foremost is this is the shortest there are only 12 mantras for this upanishad starting with om eteta daksharam idam sarvam that is the beginning word and with that as the first mantra onwards there are only 12 mantras which can be classified into three groups with the classification i'll come later but unlike the other upanishad there is no paraphernalia of the the vedas which is being brought here here he is talking in the upanishad the muni is talking only about direct advaita a person who is not capable of grasping the absolute pure philosophy he will find this upanishad not understandable because there is no coming down by the rishi for explaining this to the level where in the mandukya we saw that what is what are the dwaividya vidita vye paracha paracha and then then what is para what is apara all those things explanations were there in the mandukya this is in the same thing the the muntaka upanishad in the mandukya which is in the same territory both being the muntaka uh, rishi proktam muntaka upanishad also and mandukya mandukya is tasyapatyam mandukya muntaka apityam is mandukya that is it's also from in that in the lineage of muntaka only this upanishad is also coming but here he has abandoned all the paraphernalia or descriptions with uh, typical the karma kanda upasana kanda people are familiar with so definitely this upanishad is not meant for people who are into ritualistic traditional approach to you know their day to day duties and all this is meant for to be heard by a uttamadhikari 
Uttamadikari is the one who has have the best of sadhana chadushtaya. Now sadhana chadushtaya means are the fourfold qualities which are required for a spiritual seeker. The first one being sadhana chadushtaya, which is the shamadamadi shatkam. What does a shamadi shatkam? I am not getting into the details because you, we all have gone through that before. Is basically the physical discipline which is required for for tuning oneself for this spiritual life. So shamadama uparadi samadhanam is all those things will the six of them will come there. Having trained the physical and the mental bodies of the individual, the person has to develop a sort of detachment or disinterest in the sensualities of the world outside. He is no, his mind is no more running away after the objects of enjoyment. Such a person is the one who has developed the vairagya, which is the second quality which is required. Now, when the vairagya comes, there is a chance that, you know, you will not remain in the state of vairagya forever unless you are supported by viveka. Viveka is, vairagya is the detachment. Viveka is the knowledge which helps the detachment. How does the Viveka or the knowledge help the detachment? By bringing the reality of the sensual objects or the distractions. Are they permanent or are they transitory in nature? Why am I running after transitory things? And therefore, more and more abandoning of the transitory things towards moving to the, which is the ultimate reality, which is on which I can depend upon that which will not change. Is what Shankaracharya says. That which doesn't change is the only truth. Anything which is changing is not true because that is momentarily being experienced. So Viveka is coupled with Vairagya is mandatory for understanding the spiritual qualities. Now Viveka will not come without what? Vichara. Vichara is what is transient, what is permanent. This type of an analysis, the vichara, is what is required, which will increase the quality of the knowledge on the seeker. And these two will make him more detached from the worldly pleasures because he knows that these are all bondage to me because the moment I am attached to something, that, that binds me to it. So I'm not free from bondage unless I am detached to it. This detachment from this bonding nature of the world and to be permanently free from that is what is called the moksha or mumukshutta. Moktum icha, the one to be in free from the clutches of the, of the sensualities of the world is what is the fault. So, after having achieved all those things, if the mind is prepared for listening to the higher level of philosophy, only such a person should listen to Mandukya Upanishad. The reason why is that Mukti Upanishad is one of the major, one of the main Upanishads in the 108 Upanishads. 
in the Murti Upanishad, it narrates all the 108 Upanishads which are important for, for spiritual attainment. In that, there is one statement. Mandukya meva malam mumukshunam vimokshaye. That is, Mandukya is the only Upanishad which is required if somebody really wants to be free from the bondages of samsara or the worldly life. So that is the, per the, the permanence or the prominence given to the Mandukya Upanishad in the Mukti Upanishad. The same thing is, is repeated in the, uh, in the dialogue between Sri Rama and Hanuman also. Where Sri Rama says the same words of the Mukti Upanishad to Hanuman saying that this Mandukya Meva Malam. The Alam means enough. That alone is enough for Mumukshunam, for those who are seeking the freedom from the worldly thing. Vimokshaye, for the Mukti. So having said that, that is the prominence with which this Upanishad has been treated by centuries or millennia in the Indian philosophical cycle. So, what is the speciality of this Upanishad to that extent? Because if you look at it, in all the Upanishads, there is a dialogue between a teacher and the student, or some sort of a story is there where the you know in the in the Kata Upanishad you heard that you know dialogue between Yama and Nachiketa. Before that, there is a story of his father being giving the Vishwa and Sarvadan, Sarvaswadan and Yetnya. And in the Keno Upanishad, we found that, you know, the questions are Kene Shidam Badadi Prekshidam Mana Kena Prana Pradam Apredi Kene Shidam Bajamivam Badandi Chakshutram Kahudevo Yunakti. All these questions being asked by the student to the teacher, what is that which with which my mind is working? What is that with which the eyes are working? What are the things? Who is the one who is joining what I hear and what I see together to have an experience of the totality? All these type of questions are there in the Keno Upanishad. There also the Guru and Shishya dialogue is there. In this Upanishad, there is no such dialogue. Even in the Muntaka Upanishad, which is part of this, this Atharva Veda, we saw that, you know, Yatnyatva Sarvamitam Vitnyadam Bhavati. He is asking that, Angirasan, he is asked, being asked, what is that knowledge with which everything, if I learn, everything else will be known? So these type of dialogues are there. Whereas in the Mandukya Upanishad, there is no such dialogue. It is a straight away, Shruti is telling us exactly what is to be heard. There is not even one word of extra, which can be called as an extra in this Upanishad. Every one word has got its own predominance and a placement which is giving us the direct knowledge. And if one can understand the direct knowledge of this Upanishad, he doesn't have to further study it here or any other Upanishad. So being that the, it is a dry subject without any paraphernalia, so normally people are not attracted toward this because they also think it is a smaller 12 mantras. What, should, what can I learn from the 12 mantras? unless it is taught for, I heard 12 years. So you can say, each mantra should be taught for one year. Then only he becomes a Brahmachari 12 years of education. So those sort of type of thoughts are there. But 
Gaudapada Acharya, who is the guru of Shankaracharya's guru, Govindapada, he had to take special effort and compose a poetry commentary called Karika. Karika basically means poems. <clears throat> he wrote these Karikas mainly to make it simpler for those who want to study these four, 12 mantras. And since it is related to the mantras, he has placed it along with the first chapter. Whereas that the whole Karika itself by itself is being divided into four, four chapters. The first one being called Agama Pragaranam. The second one being called Vaidatya Pragaranam. The third one called Advaita Pragaranam. And the last one is Alada Shanti Pragaranam. Now why has Gaudapada divided this into four categories? Agama Pragaranam. Agama means Shastram or Shruti. Here is all the 12 mantras and Gaudapada's narration or explanation of the 12 mantras intermingled between the mantras and the karikas are placed. That's why when you see the Mandukya Upanishad, you will find that the mantras are not first and their explanations coming later. No. He has placed his own commentaries in such a way that what mantras you study, that is being explained by the following karikas. And then the next mantra comes. Then some karikas. Then next mantra. Then like that is the place. And the whole thing is covered in the Agama Pragarana. Where you have 29 or 28 or 29 slokas from Gaudapada and 12 mantras of Upanishad. This is in the Agama Pragarana. Totally there are 215 uh, karikas by Godavada. And this division is important is because in the Agama Prayarana, what has to be told has been already told. There is nothing more to be told. So the traditional teachers say that if you have understood the Agama Prayarana and you have listened to that and understand that, the remaining three pragaranas are not for those who have understood the first pragarana. But if you are still want to listen to it, that means you agama you have not understood completely. Because there is nothing more to be told after the agama pragarana. Yet, why did Gaudapada Acharya create a second uh, chapter called Vaidatya Pragaranam? Now, the word Vaidatya means illusion or mithya. So having told the truth in the first chapter, he is writing a second chapter which is called the Mithya or the illusion aspect of the, the details which have been told in the first one. Why from the first, if the truth is the truth alone, Advaitam Paramarthata, if that is the truth, where does the Mithya or the illusion have a place? This is what is being he is being placing in the second chapter. After having sold the, the absolute reality in the first chapter, the illusion or the mithya in the second chapter, the third chapter of Advaita Pagaranam is, is bringing that even though there are apparently these two are separate, there is no two, there is only one. That is why Advaita. There is no two, there is only one. 
one is the reality one is the dependent reality the dependent reality do not have an independent existence once who knows that he has understood what is advaita so that is the third chapter so having understood the advaitam in the third chapter which is much more simplified because of thanks to gaudapada in through his karika gaudapada goes to the fourth chapter where illusions are explanations are given by alata shanti prakaranam alatam means a torch in those days before invention of electricity they were used to have a wooden stick at the tip of the wooden stick used to be burnt for as a torch that's a wooden torch what they call it as and when it is rotated when it is in rotation you find a circle so this is the alata shanti prakaranam so that is what where the alata is example is used but major aspect of that chapter is those who are opposing advaita are being exposed by gaudapada in his karika by their own follies he is not fighting to establish advaita no way he doesn't have to all he had to expose is that the follies in their own philosophy whether it is sankhya bauddha or dvaita vishita dvaita whichever may be the philosophers who is challenging advaita their follies are being exposed in those chapter so those who have understood advaita want to establish and feel that you know they don't get distracted by other philosophies which can come up and challenge you or when you get exposed to such philosophies you should not be misled that have and develop a doubt on advaita for that purpose the fourth chapter has been written by gaudapada so this is the overall picture of mantukya upanishad now how does mantukya upanishad present the subject which is not capable to be grasped by the mind yato vacho nivartande aprapya manasasah is what is the statement is that truth which is not possible within the words to be explained and not fathomable by the mind how can that subject be so crystal clear explained by a shastra or an upanishad within just 12 mantras and out of the 12 mantras only six six mantras are being used seven mantras are being used for really narrating the eighth to 12th mantras are a follow up on upasana or type of a upasana type of a thing where you want to meditate upon or rather meditate the word nididhyasana will be a better word to use who want to do nididhyasana on that that is the 8th to 12th mantras so even the seven mantras how can that which cannot be explained within the words which cannot be grasped the mind the mind be made available in such crisp words by the by the upanishad to understand that i have to take you pause you here and take you to the 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 methodology of word and knowledge this is a very important aspect what we should understand is that how can knowledge arise 
is a fundamental question which has been asked by philosophers from time immemorial vedanta by definition has accepted six pramanas pramana means pramakaranam pramanam that instrument which is the primary method through which knowledge is conveyed is called a pramana now what are the pramanas which are accepted by the vedanta pratyaksha anumana arthapatti upamana anupalabdhi shabda shabda these are the six of them pratyaksha means a direct perception is through indriya our sense organs are giving senses from the world outside and we get a knowledge of what we see whether they are real unreal is not a question right now right now what the purpose of the instrument is that eyes can only show us what can be lit or eligible for light to show us which shows that in the darkness eyes are there but light is not there eyes are useless to show us what is present in a dark room so perception even though has a potency to show us it also has a limitations where it can show and everything at the same time it is applicable to all the five sense organs and the sixth one which is the mind but mind has something more which we can grasp it that is called anumana anumana is a inference which is in the intellectual field or in the mind based on data which has been collected by the indriyas for example when we see a smoke coming at a far off place the smoke arising from that place cannot come without fire is a inference now this inference is because we have seen all in the earlier occasion through our eyes that fire produces not only the flames and burning things it also is giving out smoke therefore wherever smoke is there the fire has to be there but there are occasions when i have seen fire when it is burning 100% yet there is no smoke so fire presence of fire will not give me smoke but presence of smoke i can reduce or i can understand inference from that if there is a smoke there has to be a cause for it which is the fire this is called the inference or anumana then arthapatti is a presumption based on again on data same way like how we have in the in the case of is a knowledge based on the inference the date with data which we have acquired through our sense organs we also presume that certain things that we are not having a karyakarana sambandha or the cause and the effect relationship is not seen directly but there is a presumption that oh if that if it is there then it has to have a cause for it the cause is also not seen the effect is also not seen but if the cause and effect there is a relationship that both can have to be always together then comes the upamana based on comparison or a simile uh, you say that you know examples are used to give knowledge about that 
So wherever comparison is being done for uh, explaining something which is not present there directly, you get the knowledge of the thing which is not present directly by showing something which is similar to that. So that is Upamana. Anupalabdi is the absence of Anumana type of a thing. When there is, when there is an absence of something, you get to know that the absence has happened due to a certain thing which was previously existing there. So Anupalabdi or the absence also gives us the knowledge. See, I mean, the examples, I'm not going to the examples so that, you know, it will become a long talk. I don't want to get into that. But I, my main purpose is to how the knowledge arises. The, the sixth and last one, which is accepted by the Vedantin across the board is Shabda Pramana. How words can give us knowledge. This is the reason why this Upanishad uses this method of knowledge transmission for conveying the truth, which cannot be conveyed through the words. He is using the words to convey the message. Now, in the, in, if you look at it, how does it happen? In the, in the, in the Vakyapatiya, there is a text by Bhartrahari, he is a very famous philosophy, grammarian come philosopher. And he has also written very good books like Nidhi Shatakam, Vairagya Shatakam, all those three books. He, raised, he, has, he writes that, Idamandam tamakrishnam jayade bhuvanatrayam yadi shabdahuayam jodhirasamsaram nadipyate. These worlds, the three worlds of experience, not only experience, the three worlds, Jagrasapna Sushupti would not have been complete would not have been possible to be known completely. It will be submerged in the darkness. Andam tamakrishnam. Had it been not for the brightness or the brilliance of the words, Sabdahvayam Jodhira Sansaram. If that Jyoti of the Shabda, now if you look at, for example, we can't even imagine what the world will be to a person who is deaf. He can see things, but he doesn't know the name of it. Even if he is able to read the scripture or the script, if you write an you can see you show him an apple, you can write apple there. But how does that sound of telling or pronouncing the word apple is not there for him for cognition because he is deaf. So how does such a person perceive the world cannot be even imagined. If that is the case, what about the person who is blind? And people who have no sensory organs or defective sensory organs, for the world becomes different. The perfect condition of the sensory organs gives us a knowledge of the perfect world. Yet, even in that perfection, we are so deluded that we do not see the truth. Having known everything with the most perfect sense organs, we are still deluded by because we don't see the reality. For example, 
a pot is being made out of mud we all know the mud is the same mud which becomes a pot even when we are seeing the pot we call the pot we have the name for it we have the form for it we do the transaction with the pot as if pot is a reality with the name and form all transactions are being done forgetting that that name form and transaction of that activity is what we are doing has a dependency on the mud which has given the name and the shape this dependent reality of the name called pot and the shape called pot is residing in the mud so mud is the reality the name and form cannot remain without the mud so you cannot separate the name and form without the without the the substratum from which the name and form is being experienced this is for a person who has got all the in, in sense organs perfectly available i'm not talking going into the person who are uh, challenged with the sensory signals even for a normal person whose sensory signals are not we have transacting now if we try to look at all our experiences in our day to day life what i explained about the pot and the mud is the same for everything in our experience there is a dependency of the name and form on something now how do we know that this where do we go for with this knowledge now for example let us assume that you have your mobile in your hand and you have a a glass of water on by the side the glass of water and the mobile has independent existence they are not depending upon each other for their own existence but for the glass to be known to me and the mobile to be known to me i have to be depending upon something with which i know both of it this dependency of the existence of the glass and the existence of the mobile is based on my perception or my awareness of it if my awareness is not there i cannot say the mobile is there or the glass is there as far as i am concerned somebody else may come and see them they for them it is there that it is not that i am talking about each one of us should take our own experience for analysis this awareness or the knowledge with which i am able to see two non related substances is the same way which i see myself and the world outside myself when i am talking here i am talking about my body which is also in the world outside i am knowing the entire world outside with my knowledge i am knowing my body also through my knowledge only your knowledge or awareness are used you know interchangeably so from my point of view 
both my body and my world of experience or the objects of the experience are existing only when I am aware of them. This experience is of the waking, same way the waking, the dreaming experience also, you will find that the awareness of the totality of the world of experiences existing in the, in the dream is in awareness. The waking is also in awareness. If you look at the deep sleep, even without the objects present there, no idea of who is existing there, everything, I cannot deny my own existence or my own awareness there. So, when we say that the dependent reality is depending on the awareness for its existence, they have no independent existence. Anything you take in the world, suppose you say that uh, I, uh, there, is a, there is a city which is by some, some, some unique name you can say. That city is there. I, as far as I am concerned, till you said that, it was not existing for me. It might have been existing for you. But the moment you told me, it came to my knowledge. And in my knowledge, because of my knowledge, through you as an informer of the knowledge, I have that city is also existing. Whether I see it or not is a different thing. But I know a name, say, for example, uh, let us take Singapore or uh, Chennai, whichever may be the say, city you are referring to. Whether I should see it or not, that's a different question. That is perception. When I go there physically and see the city, it's a different experience. But the existence of that is valid to me only if it comes into my knowledge. This dependency of objects on the knowledge is making the, the knowledge, the objects, knowledge-dependent reality. They are not independent reality. Directly or indirectly, it has to come into the knowledge of somebody, then only something else. You cannot even imagine anything that can exist within the realm of knowledge and within the realm of un unknown. Unknown till the time it is being known, it is unknown, let us say. So you have a, a set of items which are known, a set of items which are unknown. You know, categorize them all as unknown categorize some as unknown the unknown also becomes known the moment you somebody brings it out of the unknown to the known so as far as third party is not there to bring that unknown to me the un i categorize them as unknown it is also existing in my knowledge that there is things which are unknown to me that existence of the unknown things also has the dependency on my knowledge for their own existence. I may not know specific, but I can categorize them all into unknown. So when I say that my knowledge is limited to the known things, the bigger block which is unknown, but that is also within my knowledge. I may not know the specifics or the names and forms of it, but as far as I'm concerned, a good set of things are existing as unknown to me, a set of things are existing as things are known to me. 
but both need me as a known knower or the one who is having the consciousness or awareness to segregate between the known and the unknown outside these two parameters i can't even imagine anything can exist because the moment anything is existing i am not known i need to fall into the unknown group if it is something is existing and it becomes known it will fall into the known group so without the known and the unknown nothing can exist which means both the known and unknown are knowledge dependent therefore the dependency on the knowledge is the prime factor based on which we have to understand how the upanishad is going to take us to the unknown thing which we think it cannot be known now how does a sound in the in the upanishad is using sound to convey to us how does the sound become a knowledge to us in the bhartrahari's language there are three categories what is called pashyanti madhyama and vaikari these are the three type of sound which is categorized abhinava gupta in the in the kashmiri shaivism also uses para pashyanti madhyama vaikari there is one more para is also added to it but basically both of them are in the same in the methodology the process is the same let us take a word before i utter the word there is a desire in me, in my consciousness or awareness to utter a word or to say a, to convey to you one word or one some something let's take one word that desire is the first stage where it creates a vibration in the knowledge or awareness this is called spandanam or vibration that vibration immediately travels all the way through the nerves and generates energy like air muscles etc which is in the stage of is of creating the sound but it also picks up data which is there in the mind and intellect as either the language the specific word that inundation or the utterance the, the force with which you have to utter whether you have to say sweetly or whether you have to say it rash or whether you have to use an abusive type of uh, you know sound all those data is picked up from the intelligence or the mind where the memory bank is there and this madhyama that is the stage where it is called the madhyama or the middle stage of a thing that forces the throat to the lip move in particular fashion particular usage because all those things are highly developed science is there for this particular pattern of sound producing now that which comes out will have the language which in, intent of mind my my desire to utter the word if the desire is included in it the memory and the you know the type of word to be which language i have to use 
what is the type of force I have to use, whether I have to use a, you know, in a, in a, a loud sound or a sweet sound or whatever, all sorts of qualities you will find that word is carrying. We are not analyzing these words when we normally hear. This word, when it comes to throughout from the mouth, from the throat onwards, is called the vaikari. That is the last stage of utterance. Now, when this utterance takes place from the mouth, it creates vibration in the air. That is why the desire has become materialized. The desire to utter a word has now become a matter of vibration of the air. It is a physical movement of the air, which is a matter. This matter in vibration falls on the eardrum of the one who is hearing. And all the qualities which were there in that sound, the desire, the data, everything is transmitted or transferred onto the eardrum of the listener and the reverse process what happened in the the one who spoke takes place in the listener and the desire which was there in the speaker becomes the effect on the one who is listening because the desire now fructifies as not as a result, desire, but the desire has produced a result in the listener. This exactly is the process when the Rishi is teaching us the truth. He has to use this medium of instruction, but he is not instructing about which cannot be instructed, because that there are no words to describe that. That is the place where he uses the other methodology like inference, direction, and uh, you know the sound and examples, etc., to take the idea which is the desire with which he is speaking in his mind becomes an effect in the student's mind, and when he listens that, he is in tune with the teacher, unless there are obstructions which he is, that is why the chitta shuddhi or the purity of the mind to listen a subject like this is at most interest. If there is no purity in the mind, that what you are hearing from the teacher will get tainted or colored by your tendencies. And that tendencies will misguide you and you will have the three type of defects on it. Either you will not understand, that is, which is called ignorance. Either you will hear it wrong, that is a misunderstanding or, you know, or you may doubt what the teacher is saying because you are not grasped, you are not absorbed it fully. So the reaction has not taken place fully because you are obstructing it. So these type of defects takes place in the listener's point of view. From the teacher's point, it is not there because he knows what he is talking. He has conveyed it. This methodology is important for this. Why I'm talking about these methodology and these things are important is that in the six months, seven mantras of the Upanishads, each word has got its own importance. So 
unless you keep away your baggage band and baggage or your tendencies outside you will not be grasping the upanishad in its purity if you want to come to confirm that to the robots or artificial intelligence if that is running in your mind you will not listen to what the rishi is saying it is important that with a clear crystal clear mind you listen to that once you understand it after that what you do you can do the analysis for that the other three chapters are there which can clarify that if you have not understood fully so it is important that we take this step to understand the upanishad and what does the first mantra say the first mantra itself is says that om ityetad aksharam idam sarvam tasyopak vyakhyanam bhutam bhavat bhavishyaditi sarvam ohankara eva om iti etat aksharam idam sarvam all this idam sarvam all this what we are now talking about is nothing but om the symbol om is used because that is a script that is everything aksharam means indeclinable or indecable thing tasya upakhyanam upakhyanam means the crystal clear exposition of that om is what is going to be told by this upanishad what is that aksharam bhutam bhavat bhavishyat future present and past all are included in it iti sarvam ohankara eva all of them are in ohankara not only that yaccha anyatrikalaatitam what is beyond the three also is that tadapi ohankara meva even that is ohankara eva this is how the upanishad is going to start so you can imagine it is going to talk to you something which is included in all the future present and the past of our experiences and what is not or what is beyond the three which we cannot even imagine because we as a time concept we have no only the future present and past can there be something beyond the beyond the three is not even possible for us to fathom now right now unless we understand what the upanishad is wanting to say this is how the first mantra itself is talking about so now you know why the importance of listening correctly and understanding that is important when it comes to an upanishad is of this sort i have taken 10 minutes extra but i thought unless i complete to that and introduce you the first mantra of the upanishad i will not be doing justice we will take this first mantra in detail in the next in the coming friday same time till then i'll stop here we will have a question answer regarding this portion which we have now spoken now after that we can move to the next room om purnamada purnamidam purnat purnamudachyate purnasya पूर्णमादाय पूर्णमेवावशिष्य
शांति 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 श्री गुरुभ्यो नम हरि थैंक यू ऑल नमस्ते थैंक यू थैंक यू वेरी मच हरबिंदोजी फॉर द वंडरफुल एक्सप्लेनेशन द वेरी बैकग्राउंड ऑफ द उपनिषद एंड the mangala charana and including the very first mantra of the upanishad beautifully explained thank you very much now the room is opened for the discussion we will confine the discussion only to the portion dealt by shri arbind ji today post that we will go to the uh, other room for general discussion thank you thank you very much can i ask a question yes please Okay. Um for the four layers of consciousness of Brahman. Uh Maya is the fourth one and it is and Brahman is the only one that is not part of the other three. If um can I also move that inside myself? those four layers like gross body solid body causal body and brahman and is that on an even level and if so um then my body belongs to maya then the next level belongs to the solid body then the next level belongs to the causal body and then all of that is permeate is created by brahma am i understanding this correctly uh karen you should not can use those uh, <clears throat> because that examples are used normally when the srishti or the creation is explained like causal body etc etc in the ways of mandukya upanishad the approach is totally different it does it explains the experiences not of the body the waker dreamer and the deep sleeper are the three experiences the three worlds of experiences in the three worlds we have the three of the subject object and the relationship between the subject and the object the type of body has no relevance whether it is a karna sharira or annamaya sharira pranamaya sharira ityadi that is all a different upanishadic method in which it where the creation is assumed to be real as far as mandukya method is concerned it is going to show you tell you what you think as real has no reality but where do you get the reality it from you should know it to know that why is it unreal that is the method in which madhukya will take you thank you mm. hari om bindu ji this is amazing amazing, amazing. thank you so much loved it um just a quick question um mandukya uh upanishad mandukya so does it if we break it down is it the dukkha of the man or have i is that kind of not the right interpretation 
of mandukya mandukya is the lineage of a rishi in the atharva veda the muntaka upanishad and mandukya upanishad belongs to the same lineage the muntaka upanishad is 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 the first one which is more rudimentary in nature or fundamental in nature whereas mandukya upanishad is the pure essence which is of the upanishad by say that is why it is crisp and short so there is nothing called sukha dukkha which is which is attributed to the word mand the word manduka is the name of a rishi but manduka is also known as a frog in sanskrit but it has nothing to do with the manduka frog and in this way because those days the names of the rishis shaunaka shunaka shunaka means dog so shaunaka is the shunakasya patyam puman is the shaunaka so that way the shunaka also is name of the rishi and whose son is known as shaunaka so you don't relate to the name of rishis of those days with the current sanskrit wordings which are standing for it so okay. there is no words sukha dukha in this word for mandaka uh, yeah i think uh, yeah, i think pronounce it in um, english i'm not pronouncing the 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 properly so it's sounding like something else yeah that's all mm-hmm. yeah okay Bindu ji, uh, could you elaborate on the uh, the levels of speech that you brought up, uh, para, pashyanti, um, and uh, I forget the other ones. So, like, if I understand correctly, you said that the desire is the first element, right? Uh, and the final one is the physical utterance, that 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 uh, sound uh, that is uttered, sound proper. Uh, what were the to in between like how do i visualize that you 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 think in yourself suppose you want to scold somebody let us assume that situation what happens first in you is the desire to scold this is this all thing whole thing happened instantaneously but the philosophers have taken step by step of analyzing it the moment you want to scold somebody there is a desire to scold it happens in the chit where the pure awareness get the vibration part of it to tickle the scolding aspect that is where the sankalpa or the ichha or spandanam these are the words used interchangeably in the upanishads what happens is that when when that desire to scold comes the vibration from the chit travels all the way to the sushumna nadi to the mooladhara chakra this is the uh, abhinava gupta's method of now i'm not talking about the bartrahari thing bartrahari has got a three different thing only whereas much more detailed explanation is in the abhinava gupta's uh, uh, method so it travels all the way to the sushumna nadi and starts rising up carrying the force of shakti the ichha shakti to talk which comes the so the prana 
इच्छा शक्ति प्रार्थना हैज गॉट द बोथ इच्छा शक्ति एंड क्रिया शक्ति दैट इज द वन विच कम्स एज द फॉर्म ऑफ ए इच्छा शक्ति टू अटर द वर्ड इट ऑल्सो पिक्स अप बिकॉज ऑफ इट्स टेंडेंसीज इन द शक्ति फ्रॉम द डेटा बैंक what language you want to scold that person if you know more than one language you may pick up any win of that language what word you have to utter that word is thing in that word that methodology of that force whether it should be a loud barking type or just a mere you know crisp and different type of scoldings are there or speech for that you have to use different parts of the mouth from the throat which is the a ah, that that is the first sound which can be anybody can produce when you open a mouth to utter a word and the last word is m which is the when you close the lip after that you can only hum the words won't come so between the throat and the lip you can use all sounds of sound including the nasal one these combination which is the word to be used which are number of the you know what you will the alphabets you want to use it the combination of it if it is one word suppose if it is a statement a single statement you have to use multiple words and the gap between the words the proper way in which you place the gaps and the proper way in which the words can be arranged all those things as thought processes are taking at the simultaneous case in the mind or in the in the process so para is a unmanifest form pasyanti is the word the pasyanti means is the seeing or the desire become to the word to become a word madhyama is the process where you do all the mixing up of the data and the tendency or the word language everything you think then the last one is when the vaikari which is the audible sound which comes out from you that audible sound will have all the qualities which you desired to utter it cannot give other than that something which is which is not your desire so the desire is the root from which the whole thing is prompted methodology is accumulation of energy words tendencies language etc etc and then it becomes a word the reverse takes place in the listener's mind if he is pure unless it is obstructed by his tendencies so uh, bindu ji in that case i was wondering so there is a teacher and i'm assuming the teacher to be enlightened and uh, you know and the teacher is teaching to the disciple and of course the teacher is doing that by uttering um words now here i'm trying to understand whether that first tickle that that spanda that happened in the uh, in the enlightened teacher to utter the word was it like the disciple acting as a catalyst saying that oh guru ji teach me something or is it that the guru wants to teach uh, to the world like and you know a disciples may come and all that so like is that the initial desire in the teacher being uh, touched by the disciple or is it coming from the teacher uh, themselves uh, you know 
to teach the world let us take example of this very class there was no demand from anyone for a particular upanishad to be taught or what time or when i should do this desire was prompted from my within myself on the contrary i am doing an another class on tuesdays evening there the demand has come from the after having completed one book the students wanted to go to a similar book or an higher studies so the demand came from the students as to what to be studied so i took up dakshinamurthi stotra with sureshracharya swatiga there so those are things which are prior to the process which i explained what i explained was what caused the desire is not what is in me the moment you want to utter a word it starts with a triggering of the desire to utter a word now the scolding can be decided by a, a child which has been naughty to you he can trigger the desire for you to scold so those are different aspects which is not to be confused with the process what is called para pashyanti madhyama vaikari Oh, okay okay so this is only in the context of uh, speech speech the the, the main motive um, uh, that is like on a different level like the, the desire to teach that itself is on a different level and this is just in the context of uh, uh, you know the speech utterance basically yeah yes yeah that's right that's right okay. thank you good evening bindu ji it was great start finally and uh, thank you very much i'm very was waiting for it and like you know finally it's happening so very nice so one of the things is that uh, so in this model of uh, you know this uh, the way the desire is translated into something physical uh, so there seems to be one plane where there is a reality which is simply there but not expressible uh, you know in any way it is simply there the desire the source form of the desire and then it uses the speech mechanism or visual mechanism to express itself and whether it is to yourself or to other people and so on which we normally call it as a cognitive capability or uh, you know the kind of cognition that happens which is actually in the physical plane in the physical reality the way we look at it so there is a interface between one reality which is non physical to the physical all right so the so essentially the model seems to be that uh, Uh, that awareness or that ultimate reality is actually changing contents of this reality whatever we are experiencing you know directly right yeah, yeah it is here it is why i want you to know this is because how desire can materialize no but this, i would this, say that the, no the desires it to utter a word is there the simplest word to be explained but how in the in the human conditions janadi ichchati yatate these are the three stages janadi you know something because of which a desire comes ichchati and then comes yatanam or the the action towards fructifying that desire this is exactly in the case of in the desire thing is exactly why it is happening in the case of 
when you are uttering a word also the desire you know the words you want to know you know the situation and you are talking about using a situation to scold or a convey a message that is where the together whole thing happens so at that stage there is no two sub this you will come to that once we go through the upanishad this is what is taken as a basic to explain to you later that there is no two separate reality it is only all of them are in one but when it is being seen it as separate there is a difference which we call it as a world of experience the world of experiences are not separate from you do you say that you, you do you say the world no, is separate it. do you yeah do you say the word is different from you yes we'll say the word is different from you because you don't say that the word is i am the word no but if you look at the process from where did it come no that's a it came from you yeah that's a different question yeah i am not focusing on that aspect actually i am only focusing on the aspect that at least in the apparent division the physical reality which has got to do with senses and so on and uh, where we need to produce sound to communicate something to somebody and all that so that's a physical reality but that is triggered by another reality and i'm only asking what should be the nature of that reality because what is a desire before it gets expressed as a desire yeah uh, you know so that has to be wordless reality it, in the sense that you will come to know about it when we are di- discussing that about the seventh mantra of the upanishad it talks about that you have to wait for that okay but it's very interesting these are extremely difficult ideas and they have been captured in the upanishads is itself uh, something you know extraordinary i have another question about the listening part if you listen without uh, being in your mind and you're totally focused on what is being said and the first upanishad is talking about that too that the word is like um it is uh it has a light on it so we can recognize the content of that word within the light within the light of our own mind the awareness in our own self is shining on that word what is being spoken and only that word will give you the knowledge what's behind the word is that right yeah some you you are almost there but we needs a final final some fine tuning for it yeah in order to uh, recognize what's behind the word you have to be in that space of light otherwise you will not be able to see uh, because the truth is within you right yeah that's right Nuri, one aspect I really caught on to, uh, I think that the one you mentioned at the end, the purification, that as it is said, so it is received. Uh, I, I think that's how you put it, right? I mean, j- just confirming. 
come again come again like the last thing that you said was that regarding the purification of the mind that the thing as it is said so it is received like that has to be the case for the soul thing to work yes. Right? yes yeah and you know like there i was wondering that um i mean i find this whole subject object split to be just a linguistic problem right like it's through lingua language we create you know we create these containers like i pronoun you pronoun and so on and the reason why what you said um, re- really struck me is because if in any case like okay doing away with the subject object split just to be linguistic but even there if in that linguistics uh, you know that split itself the i container is not matching the u container then there will be always this this tussle that what the other person has said how should i interpret it like as the other person has said differently i'm going to use my own filter but i suppose what you are saying is that i mean it seems a bit paradoxical because it seems like if that purification is already there then like what like what's the use of listening to the words even i'm wondering you if you understand what i mean yeah purification is only to ward off your preconditions clamoring and confusing what is being heard but you have no knowledge of what is being taught ah so i'm i'm assuming that what purification has done is basically although it has done away with the subject object split so there is no i container different from u container so that space has been cleared yet there is this special knowledge which can be said to be still lacking and which then will be like directly imparted through those words that will be uttered by the teacher without any kind of um, extra filtering that used to happen before i mean that's what i am forming the picture i have another question <laughs> i'm full of questions today um about um being aware awareness the awareness of it only exists when you are aware of it so i am aware of voices the voice belongs to bendo so i'm aware of you and you exist in me then everything i'm not aware of if i am not focusing my awareness or if i my awareness is not focused on that particular thing then it does not exist is it what does not exist that's still brahman but unrealized right what does not exist for you is in the group of called unknown until and unless it is being brought to your realm of knowledge either by direct experience or one of the six pramanas or what are the six methods of knowing it once when that happens then that moves from the unknown to the known and the the set of known things and the set of unknown things there is nothing beyond it but both set of known and unknown are known to you in the sense that 
you know that you know known sets you know that you have a lot of unknown set also it is with the existence of the unknown is also because you have the you are aware of the existence of unknowns so the existence is dependent on knowledge without knowledge existence has no existence thank you for that Uh, bindu ji just uh, wanted to ask another question regarding the purification of the mind is this upanishad undertaking the task of purifying the mind or is it something that is um, already presumed assumed to be the case and if it is so then uh, like how does one purify the mind i mean what does it mean uh, the process or just wondering it is assuming that the students are prepared and with a pure mind that is the first chapter is all about for those who are not been able to grasp is the second third and fourth chapters are there the lesser purified people will benefit more from the second third and fourth chapter than the first chapter and and the, the process of purification itself has it been mentioned somewhere or like no so how does one do that that is a prerequisite for a student if he has to be in that is in the spiritual path you should have samadama uparati titiksha shraddha samadanam these are all the physical qualities of the student and once you know that you are no more getting attracted or dissuaded by the vagaries of life you start a detachment or a disinterest in the world of objects to establish that disinterest you will use the knowledge of what is transient what is permanent and that becomes more and more established in you whereby your improvement in your personality takes place you are less less of interest in the world outside or the you know distractions outside and your mind naturally gets tuned to know what is the truth ultimate truth you know that is what is truth and what is transient but you still do not know what is the ultimate truth so the more you remove the transient ones more you will be moving towards knowing the ultimate truth that is what is called mumukshutva or the that is a, that is the word the purity is all about and like i'm 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 wondering if there is a kind of like a checklist or something like that by which i can measure if like you know i'm this much person purified or you know anything like that like i'm i'm wondering if that can be um, like if that can be measured somehow it is just it like, is just like if you have a toothache even the dentist cannot say whether you have been cured of the toothache unless you know you tell that now i don't have toothache dentist can only provide you with the treatment or the medicines but the ultimate experience of getting rid of the toothache lies in the patient same way the teachings of the upanishad the teacher and that scriptures all are the dentist who is doing the things whether you are taking the medicine or not depend upon your purity and if you take the medicine 
then you have the result you don't the no the teacher cannot say the result the one who takes the medicine only can say the result bindu ji in case of pain it's very apparent that what like what is being asked of like no pain yeah that very very good like there is no vagueness about it it's a physical pain which is gone like health is the normal condition and any kind of uh, discrepancy some kind of pain or something like that is easily noticed but when it comes to uh, mind i think the term purification uh, gets very vague uh, and <laughs> that's what i feel and that's where i think things get tricky a bit like how do i um, like know that my mind is purified as it is being you know asked of like in fact shankara uses shankara uses the very example what you said anarogyam or the sickness is not something which is outside it is an impediment to health which is called the sickness and by removing the impediment for the health the natural state of health is restored same is the case in the case of this knowledge today the ignorance of what is the reality and what is the truth behind all these experiences are not known to us which is the impediment because of which we are getting attracted to the world outside and this the, the delusion in the world outside so the moment the knowledge comes the delusion has no place to stay there and uh, continue to delude you so whether you have been you have been you have stopped getting deluded or not the outsiders will not be able to tell it is it has to be told by you whether you are, are you getting deluded or not right uh, bindu ji are you very nice uh, beginning for this upanishad i have been waiting to hear from you uh, we talked about uh, existence and knowledge right Uh, i exist is that an acquired knowledge or a given knowledge because we also used it to refer to you know what is known and what is unknown while existence of known and also existence of unknown is known to the knower just want to tell you all of this is i exist an acquired knowledge or given knowledge in that the exist is not acquired that is natural the i is acquired yeah i is also natural no i is acquired acquired in the mind due to an apparent separation created by not knowing the truth that the world is separate and i am separate from the world therefore i is an acquired existence not knowing the world and you are not separate it is a natural aham prutti idam prutti is a natural split mm-hmm. as well natural split after the delusion has commenced okay it is before delusion okay 
the separateness is a you know imminent okay but thank you all